contracts. Intellectual property. Labor law. And much more. Make up to the wonderful world of entertainment law. Let's take a moment and learn about this vast area law. Lights, camera, action. And scene. Hey everyone, and happy February. Welcome to episode 38 of Scene Entertainment Law Podcast. I'm Tony Oikostas. And I'm Evan Narr. Tony, it is February when we're recording. Uh, it's a beautiful month. It is the month of my birth. It is the month of Ooh. Valentine's Day. It is the month of the Super Bowl. It's Black History Month. We are just, there's so many great things going on in February. And you forgot the most important thing. We're approaching in almost two weeks, yes. the one-year anniversary of End Scene, an entertainment law podcast. Isn't that incredible? Unbelievable. I, I totally forgot that. Thanks for reminding me. <laughs> yeah, two, almost a year ago on that fateful night when we sat in my apartment in Hell's Kitchen <laughs> and devised this incredible podcast. Um, it was awesome. Yeah, that, it's crazy to think. And 38 episodes in, in a year span is awesome. That's great. Um, I, I, I don't even know if podcasts i mean there are podcasts that do weekly format but for a for a baby project of this sort to do that for us to do that with such frequency that that's you know pat on our backs for that for sure yeah absolutely and again um just now more than ever for some reason there's a lot of great traction going on with the podcast i've had more people than i've ever had come up to me and reach out to me about them really enjoying the podcast. So shout out to you guys. Thank you so much for uh, the boot of confidence. Um, excuse me, the vote of confidence. I mean, is boot of confidence even a thing? Make it a thing. <laughs> okay. Well, the boot of confidence, that's our new hashtag. Um, in any event, we have a very fun podcast for you today. Three topics that we want to talk about. A very fun story uh, involving Kristen Juszczyk, the wife of Kyle Juszczyk, a all-pro fullback for the San Francisco 49ers and how she struck a licensing deal with the National Football League. The biggest news of the world uh, of the week in the entertainment world is definitely Universal Music Group, also known as UMG, taking off all of the songs by the UMG artists on the TikTok platform. Huge. And we'll talk about what implications that has for uh, smaller scale artists and we'll play a little bit of a clip for that. And lastly, we're going to go into a really um, interesting thing that came out. Erin Moriarty, who is an actress from The Boys, she was also in Jessica Jones, she plays Starlight in The Boys, uh, posted a an Instagram post uh, really getting upset at Megyn Kelly for Megyn Kelly claiming that she had had plastic surgery. Um, I don't know if she's pursuing any legal action against Megyn Kelly. We're not insinuating anything against Megyn Kelly, uh, but we will, from the legal perspective, go into what a defamation claim looks like and how it would potentially play out if it were um, brought to the court. But again, this is a perfect segue into our legal disclaimer. So, Tony, please. Yes, Evan. As always, Evan and I are lawyers, but we're not your lawyers. So anything that we say in today's episode is purely our opinion and not representative of our employers in any way, shape, and form. And anything that we say in today's episode is to not be construed as legal advice, especially, this is my little ad lib here, especially related to that story. It's a fun story to cover. It's almost like your prototypical Law school, law school hypothetical. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that, that, that's, you know, obviously we're just working off of speculation and our knowledge of defamation with that story. So, 
And I usually say the fun question before we do the disclaimer, but it was such a perfect segue into the disclaimer. <laughs> I just couldn't avoid it. So now our fun question will be in light of the Super Bowl happening in two weeks in Vegas, what our favorite Super Bowl halftime performance was. But the caveat is it needs to be from the year 2000 or later. Let's dive into the first topic, which is Kristen Juszczyk. So this Kristen Juszczyk is becoming a household name. She was designing puffer jackets, I would say. I think that's the only thing that she did. Puffer jackets with players' names and numbers on the back. It's a real fashion statement. And this really blew up because, because of Taylor Swift, the Taylor Swift effect. Uh, she wore a Travis Kelsey, of course, um, kind of puffer jacket with Kelsey's number and name on the back to the Dolphins Chiefs playoff game, which was record temperature low. And then Taylor Lautner, the actor, of course, from the Twilight Saga, amongst other things, wore an Aiden Hutchinson Detroit Lions puffer jacket. He's a big Detroit fan. And unfortunately, the, the Lions lost to the Niners. I was rooting for them, the underdog yeah, team. Yeah. Some questionable decisions by Coach Dan Campbell, but they that's what he was like all season. So I can't say I'm shocked. Um, and it worked out most more often than not. And anyway, I digress. So... Tony and I thought this had the same exact thought. Such a robust corporation like the NFL, which is very protective over its, you know, uh, trademarks and copyrights, especially their players. I mean, I feel like the NFLPA, the NFL Players Association, has an obligation to make sure that no one is profiting off of uh, the name, image, and likeness of their players without the players getting a cut of it. And of course, Kristen Juszczyk, I'm sure, was not doing this maliciously, uh, you know, I, and I don't even think that she mass produced them. But with Taylor Swift, you have to know the territory that you're coming with, right? The Swifties, her fandom is called. We're all commenting. They're clamoring for it. And this was a huge opportunity uh, for Kristen. Um, so basically, she and something that we don't typically see. She got a licensing deal with the NFL, but she created this content first. It's not like the NFL said, hey, Mrs. Juszczyk, do you want to do this for us? It's, hey, I did this. Rather than getting sued, let's strike a deal here. So this, I also think, is a very unique situation, right? You have the wife of a all-pro, arguably the most iconic fullback of the 2000s in, no in Kyle Juszczyk. Absolutely. Yep. No question. Um, a, a household name if you are a football fan, for sure. And, of course, then we have Taylor Swift, who has, whether you like her or hate her, brought in a lot of revenue and, and, and has increased the viewership amongst a new demographic for the NFL. This, this was a recipe uh, not for disaster, a recipe for, for something – that was definitely going to happen. Tony, what do you make of this story? Uh, based on what you've just laid out, I want to. I actually just said this to my wife, Melissa, the other day. Um, between Taylor Swift and the news of what we learned with Kristen Juszczyk, the NFL instantaneously became the most pro-female league in yeah. all of sports. Yeah. Um, all of a sudden now, women are interested in the sport of football. I think there was you know, some interest here and there, but it, definitely men, men were more interested. There's no, Absolutely. there's no the, denying the, dem the stats speak for themselves. The demographics clearly show that men are more interested in watching a football game than uh, a female. But that said, 
the fact that you that they were girly girls or you know women that really don't give a hoot about sports were now all of a sudden watching a sports game because they wanted to see Taylor Swift in the stands and all of a sudden they're finding themselves becoming Chiefs fans yeah. or just a fan of the sport now that you know it, that totally changed the dynamic and with Kristen Juszczyk now getting involved in the fold now all of a sudden you're changing the potentially changing the future of how apparel is going to be for women wearing sports uh you know, gear gone are the days i think are of the nfl jerseys that are bejeweled with like pink diamonds or white diamonds or the crystals at least and now in comes probably more relatable apparel that women wear like puffer coats like a sweater maybe like a dress of some sort Yep. And, uh, you know, Aaron Andrews, who's a sideline reporter for the NFL on Fox, also has her own line. I don't know if you knew knew about this, Tony. She actually oh, had you, a partnership you, with the Rams, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Well, it, it's with every NFL team. Uh, so I, actually, I remember it was an issue with the Rams, but you're right. That's right. Yeah. Actually, Taylor wore one of Aaron's um, outfits and that blew up in the store as well. Because I'm telling you, these Swifties, you know, say what you want, but they are very resourceful in finding out what is is being worn by Taylor. So um, the name is escaping me of Erin Andrews's uh, clothing line, but she definitely, I don't want to say cornered the market, but certainly um, went towards that female demographic. And Tony, yep. you're pulling it up. What's her name? Yeah. Uh, what's so the name? Called, uh, Wear by Erin Andrews. Wear by EA. Yep. And she is a University of Florida alum where I went to college. So I have a special place in my heart for Erin Andrews. She is an icon. <laughs> um, but yeah, so to talk about the legal angle here, a licensing deal, right? That's what that's my bread and butter. A licensing deal basically has two parties, usually a licensor and a licensee. The licensor is the person who owns the famous mark. The NFL would be the licensor. The licensee would be the manufacturer, uh, you know, you name it. Kristen Juszczyk in this example, licensing for a fee the right to use um, the NFL players' names. Now, I, I don't know this contract. There could have been a situation where she did not pay a licensing fee. Rather, the NFL would get a very high percentage of royalties on all sales made by Kristen Juszczyk's uh, store. I would argue it would probably be between 20 and 30%. That's what you see these big companies like Disney taking because iconic uh, IP that they've they've garnered consumer, um, you know, awareness of. You want to be getting a cut of that, I would say. So, a lucrative deal both for the NFL and for Kristen Juszczyk as well, if they want to expand this a little bit more, um, you know, to to the female and male demographic. Of course, uh, no yeah. discrimination on that end. So, very very cool. Um, one thing I was going to say about this deal that I think makes this equally interesting is, um, you know, th this all started because uh, normally Christian Juszczyk just makes her own apparel. She modifies her husband's jerseys into yes. the coats and, or dresses or shirts or whatnot. And I guess Taylor Swift and Brittany Mahomes had uh, commissioned Christian to make puffer coats for them for their you know, significant others in this case, you know, uh, Travis Kelsey for Taylor and Patrick Mahomes for Brittany. Um, and obviously that spiraled into uh, Taylor Lautner, as you mentioned. What's interesting is everybody in the comment section was saying, where could I get this coat? Where could I get yep. this coat? So I yep. think that one, when the consumers see the demand for something like this, that I, I think got the eye of the NFL. But two, even then, there was still speculation of how could 
uh, Christian Juszczyk legally do something like this? And there's actually a provision under the Lanham Act called the First Sale Doctrine, where basically uh, it almost operates as a defense, if you will. So basically, when a trademark owner sells a good to, or a service, or in this case, good more specifically, to a consumer, basically they that that is the extent of any control that they have over what the person does with the good. From there on out, they can modify it, they can paint it, they could do whatever they choose. Tons of people buy sneakers, they do some mod to it to touch it up. Um, there are people that will buy a jersey and they'll make it into a crop top. I mean, right. there are tons of options of modifying the work, the, right. the work, the good. What's important though that allows the uh, the create the first sale doctrine to kick into effect is that the person that modifies and then let's say sells it on a secondary or tertiary marketplace cannot advertise that the good came from X uh, brand because otherwise that gives the impression that the brand created it. So you right. can't, let's say, you know, buy a pair of Nike dunks, let's say 10 of them. You can't uh, modify them to like, let's say, have the Chiefs logo or anything like that and say, these are Nike dunk Chiefs uh, sneakers because now it gives people the impression that Nike mass produced these sneakers. And that's what inherently creates the consumer confusion element to it. Now, what's interesting even about the coats that she had made for Taylor Swift and for Brittany Mahomes is not only does it feature the NFL logos, but it also features the Nike swoosh logo on the corner of the coat. So yeah. uh, a few things on that. One, I think that that's probably playing with fire a little bit, but two, I think that the the headline really to take away from this is the social media buzz that generated from this, from this very simple video that she commonly does on her account spiraled into this massive opportunity for her from a licensing point of view. And as you correctly mentioned, Evan, now the licensor, in this case, the NFL, the the gatekeeper of 30 NFL trademarks for their 30 NFL teams now all of a sudden are in the hands of Christian Juszczyk. And now she can take it without issue, legally be able to make goods out of it. That, instead of going to Nike, going to the top dog, Good on Christian Juszczyk, honestly. I, I also want to note that she has also done some things for Clay Thompson. This is previous from uh, from this weekend with Taylor Swift for for Clay Thompson as well as for Debo Samuel. So, um, but it just I truly think it's the Taylor Swift effect where this really came into play and like, hey, let's Absolutely. let's make this work. Totally. So very very interesting. Uh, more interesting. Let's talk about the second topic is this UMG and TikTok debacle. So. To set the scene, Universal Music Group is arguably one of the biggest music labels in the world. They have iconic artists like Taylor Swift, Drake, oh my God, I'm trying to think of who else, Bad Bunny, you name it, like very, very well-known artists. Uh, and then TikTok, of course, is this app that has really been both positive and negative, depending on who you ask. It has certainly, for me... Uh, you know, open my eyes to a lot of different things out there and and seeing creativities, uh, creative sides of people. Tony, I know for you, you use TikTok like it's yeah. your religion, a great way to connect with people mm -hmm. uh, in the legal realm. So it certainly has its benefits. Drawbacks, of course, privacy issues, uh, taking advantage of artists and them not getting their, what's due. So one way they tried to rectify this, the music label uh, UMG entered into a licensing agreement with TikTok to allow for songs from their artists. I'm trying to, you know, obviously Taylor Swift, um, 
Illicit Affairs, August, oh my God, I'm going on a folklore frenzy right now, Midnight's, <laughs> you name it, um, to be on the platform. But the clock struck 12, uh, I would say, what, a day ago or two days ago? T- today, actually, February 1st. Oh, today, uh, even, yeah. even even worse, February 1st. Um, and all songs that were from a UMG artist are now being pulled from the platform. That means when you create a TikTok, it will not be a selectable sound. And Tony, you told me that some songs that you had included on your TikTok, you got a notice saying, uh, you know, the sound has been removed. So yeah, I'll, I'll let Tony. I was just going to say that I um, was actually really shocked to see that because um, I'm, there are more songs that are owned by UMG than I was aware of, honestly. Oh, yeah. Um, so I, for context, one of my favorite videos that I've done recently is a collab that I did with both of my TAs. Shout out to Kelly and Daryl. And um, we did a kind of a collab with Capital City's song, Safe and Sound. It's the trend where they say, you know, ha- like, have a good day or, you know, good luck on your shift. You too. Me too. And then they pretend like they're doing the work with them. It's it's a social media trend that's been out there for a while. So the video was, um, you know, have a good, uh, good luck teaching, uh, IP this semester, you too. And then they were joining me yeah. and teaching it really fun video. It's like saying, enjoy um, the movie. And you say that to the ticket concession guy, you too. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, so, so that video, it, it still has the music on Instagram, but it's not available on TikTok because the capital cities is, uh, their, their song safe and sound is under the guise of UMG. And so that song is muted. And actually if uh, for any TikTok users that regularly post like I do, if you go go down your profile, you will see kind of like uh, a notice on the corner of each thumbnail that says muted, muted, muted. Mm. And that that's basically the heads up that the that the uh, songs were probably from a UMG artist. So Tony, why you know, I want to go into my thoughts about this, but if you can share with the listeners the three things that you said UMG cited as a reason why they no longer want to have this licensing deal or couldn't come to a solution. Sure. Please. So uh so a heads up if you haven't seen it, um UMG actually put out an open letter on their website kind of laying out the landscape of the negotiations with TikTok, more specifically ByteDance, the parent company of TikTok. And, you know, TikTok has argued that UMG was acting greedy, that they were playing hardball, and obviously UMG argues the same. But at least with UMG, they were being very specific with what the issues were. So according to their open letter, they said, quote, in our contract renewal discussions, we have been pressing them being by dance TikTok on three critical issues. First, appropriate compensation for artists and songwriters. Two, protecting human artists from the harmful effects of AI. And three, online safety for TikTok users. So those are the three things there. And, you know, certainly some merit there. Um, but the big wigs like Taylor, like Bad Bunny, like Drake, will likely be fine, right? They, they have their, their work on Spotify, on Apple Music, and they have notoriety. They're selling out venues, right? Uh, but you do have some lesser known artists. And Tony, you, you shared with me a video uh, that we're going to play for you right now. So take a listen to this. Of course, Universal Records would take down my most popular song off of TikTok right as I have a video going viral about it. 
Not only that, but they took the entire album, Second Wind, that that song is on, even though they don't own any of those songs. I'm not even a full universal artist. I'm on a 50-50 deal with them with that one song anymore and nothing else. Huge megastars like Taylor Swift are going to be fine, even if their music isn't on TikTok. But artists like me, like, we rely on this platform. This is where all my promotion comes from. I was so excited when my video about how I didn't sell that song to Universal and instead decided to partner 50-50 with them and how that helped me out so much in the long run was going viral. And then the sheer irony of Universal screwing me over the very next day and taking it off the platform. And that was the lead singer, right, of Pawns or Kings? Correct, uh, the lead singer is. of Pawns or Kings. You could you could hear a little bit of frustration in the voice and just it, kind of exactly what we said, you know, the big wigs will be fine, but this guy, uh, you know, the, the singer of Pawns and Wigs, or, or Kings, excuse me, um, was going viral for people using his, his music in, in videos. And I imagine there's a royalty that is paid every time that that's played. So a little bit frustrating on that end. And I also wanted to share another thought that I had where, you know, TikTok has been such a huge resource for a lot of people. And, you know, again, I can't imagine that an influencer that their full job is TikTok, you know, relies specifically on music from Taylor Swift to succeed in their uh, TikTok career. But it certainly helps when you are doing a video with a song that people know. So this might have a trickle down effect, right? Where you have artists that like Pawns or Kings that are going to be kind of screwed over um, firstly, and then secondly, actual content creators who rely on these trending songs, these popular songs, not being able to use them. Uh, Tony, let, let's wrap up and go on to the next topic, but I wanted to give you the, the chance if you had any other final thoughts on this. I, I completely agree with you. I think, um, unfortunately, th this these talks failing does stifle to some degree creativity on the creator's part that want to use this music. You know, I, I can understand UMG's argument and rightfully so, you know, ironically enough, they're in the business of get, essentially being assigned copyright ownership of the works that these artists spend time, effort, maybe even money working on. So I guess their argument of fair compensation for artists and songwriters probably is coming from the position that they want uh, TikTok to pay up those royalties rather than them paying out of their back pocket. Um, one other thing I was going to mention is obviously this does not affect UMG's existing deals with Instagram or or YouTube for YouTube Shorts. But how weird is it if like let's say someone makes a video? There are tons of content creators that will cross promote the same video on different platforms. I do it all the time yep. now. I have to walk on pins and needles, making sure that I'm using a song that isn't on, isn't UMG oriented. Because if I post it on Instagram with no issue, it might be an issue on TikTok. So, uh, you know that 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 just adds you know wrinkle to it. Maybe the good in this is the independent artists, the truly smaller independent artists that have no affiliation to any label, to any publisher. Maybe now their work will be recognized, and rightfully so, because they also spend time and effort, and maybe even money in creating these works of authorship for all listeners to see. And they're using social media platforms like TikTok to create grassroots marketing and exposure for their songs. Heck, that's essentially how Ponser Kings did it, right? And that's how it got the eyes of UMG. 
And uh, I guess one last thought that I have on this is uh, we don't know when the talks will resume between UMG and TikTok. Um, I hope it's soon because I will say this. I will be on the record on this one. If the the talks stall as long as they stalled for WGA and for SAG-AFTRA, that would be very, very crippling to the platform altogether. And I'm and not just to TikTok specifically, but I think that, that, that this could potentially adversely affect users that, like you said, Evan, really rely on these trending sounds from mainstream artists. I, I really think that that's a very real possibility. Yeah. So uh, very interesting to see. We'll, we'll see what the developments are. And then let's transition over to our last topic, the Megan Kelly, Aaron Moriarty saga. Uh, Aaron Moriarty is, uh, I wouldn't say a household name, but she's certainly been in, in a lot of content. And The Boys is extremely popular. She's an incredible actress, Aaron Moriarty. Um, so she's definitely gaining some spotlight in, in the Hollywood world. Uh, she plays Annie January, a.k.a. Starlight, as part of The Boys. Um, and I, I had the pleasure of meeting her at New York Comic Con uh, a few years ago, actually. So uh, I, I truly think she's awesome. Uh, Megan Kelly, of course, the former Fox News host, uh, no longer with Fox News. And she has, you know, she's a polarizing figure, I would say. Um, she is mon- known most notably for her harsh criticism of Trump and, and really grilling him, uh, 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 you know, when he was running for president. But in any event, she has a talk show uh, on Sirius XM, I believe, where she was talking about Aaron Moriarty. And we have a brief clip to share with you right now. There's this gal who starred in both of those. Her name is Erin Moriarty, and she's 29 years old, and she's a beautiful actress, but she's decided to completely change her face. This is a picture of her before, which I think was relatively recent, you know, within the past year or so. Very beautiful girl, so beautiful that she was becoming a very famous Hollywood actress, put on camera and on screen and on multiple shows and movies. Now look at her. Look at that. She's got the Kim Kardashian lips. She's made her nose so skinny. It looks like a pencil now. She's got like what appear to me to be cheek implants. You know, you like huge, the cheekbones are like out to here. Look at, she looked like a nice, beautiful, natural gal. And I'm sorry not to pick on this Moriarty gal, but this like, more and more young women are doing this, Michael. It's not about an objection to plastic surgery. It's about an obsession with turning yourself into this fake version of yourself, into like, truly like a Kim Kardashian disciple with the enormous lips and the teeny tiny nose and the huge overdone fillered cheeks. I don't know what's in there. And I... I I find it like a sign of mental illness. It's extremely upsetting. It's a, it's a massive turnoff to me. I really want to get in the heads of these young girls and say, please don't do this. So you can hear that she is opining about Erin uh, Moriarty, uh, you know, I, I some direct quotes here. She declared that the actress had completely changed her face. Uh, she lamented that she, de- she described Moriarty's new Kim Kardashian lips, a nose, quote unquote, so skinny, it looks like a pencil now and what appears to be cheek implants. Um, You know, she wasn't really trying to pick on Aaron Moriarty, but she was trying to 
give a feminist message, right? She said more and more young women are doing this. It's not about an objection to plastic surgery. It's about an obsession with turning yourself into this fake version of yourself. So obviously, Erin Moriarty uh, took this to heart, especially, again, I'm not, neither of us are opining on whether she actually did get plastic surgery. That's not for us to say. And if she did, who cares, really? That's her her own decision. Her choice. Yeah. Absolutely her choice. But as attorney, you know, as people in the legal profession, I would say, um, it definitely, we should definitely weigh in on what defamation is Um, in the New York State area. The prima facie case, um, which is basically the elements you need to just show on its face a, a viable claim. In New York, you need to say that the defendant made a false statement that was published to a third party without authorization. The defendant was at least negligent when making the statement, and the statement caused harm or constitution or constituted defamation per se. And Tony. Uh, there's also another level if you are a celebrity, and that is what? Please remind me. <laughs> so um, this is very specific to public figures, and uh, public figures in this context could extend to not just celebrities and athletes, but let's say politicians. This could extend to uh, an elected official, if you will, basically someone that has some type of public stature, and the prong that is required in matters of defamation related to public figures is actual malice. And this is actually a rule that came from the Supreme Court in the iconic New York Times versus Sullivan case. Um, and it lays out based the court Supreme Court laid out that actual malice means that a person said the defamatory statement knowing that it was false or with reckless, reckless disregard of whether it was false or not. Um, right. And we've t- we've talked about defamation before on the podcast. And obviously, if you haven't listened to it, what the heck are you doing? Listen to episode 10 with our good old buddy, Ian Rosenberg. Shout out to Ian. Um, but we talked about defamation. We talked about how this is a you know, very tricky prong to satisfy, especially if you're a public figure. And I, I will say this. I think everybody remembers the craze that was the Johnny Depp Amber Heard trial, which played out more like a divorce suit rather than an actual defamation suit. But make no mistake, that was a defamation lawsuit that was about whether or not um, Amber Heard made statements that were false in a publication. And if those amounted to negligence, and given that this is involving a public figure, there's that extra prong that uh, she said she made a defamatory statement knowing that it was it was false or with reckless disregard of whether it was false or not. And I will say this with confidence. I've taught entertainment law now for five years, and we've always talked about this repeatedly when we go through defamation. The the Actual malice prong is one of the hardest prongs to satisfy, if not the hardest prong to satisfy in a defamation lawsuit. This is almost like the equivalent of, let's say, trying to play the last level um, of Guitar Hero on that impossible level where all the lights expert, are. Expert, yeah. Expert, like at, truly expert level. Like that is like the big bad. It is so hard to satisfy. So for you get carpal Depp, tunnel, you'll get carpal tunnel syndrome <laughs> syndrome from trying to, to prove this. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> Exactly. So the long-term effects are really there. Um, but imagine the fact that Johnny Depp was able to win a, the majority of the lawsuit. There were there was like a counterclaim against him, but he won his side of it pretty much in its entirety. The fact that he was able to satisfy, or at least his legal representation was able to satisfy this actual malice prong, that speaks to the rarity that the, the success, the rarity of success in these types of defamation lawsuits for public figures. So 
basically for Erin Moriarty, in her case, if she were to pursue a defamation suit against, there's no knowledge whatsoever that she's doing so, but she kind of has the cookie cutter model for a really good defamation lawsuit. And she would need to show, in addition to all these other prongs, she would need to affirmatively show some satisfaction of the actual malice prong. I also want to know, we should have mentioned this at the top, she came out, Erin uh, did, with a response to Megan and said, uh, I'm just pulling some quotes from this, from her post. Megan used a photo taken, quote unquote, a year ago, according to her, that had an actuality been taken about a decade ago before I was of legal drinking age. I'm about to turn 30, she says in, in, a, in a parenthetical. Uh, as an example, and then says in a parenthetical again, maybe do some research that would take 30 seconds. How utterly misinformed, inaccurate, and clickbait-seeking people who we follow and consider to be informed is appalling. Um, I'm also seeing she she deactivated her account. Um, she's deciding to invest her energy in her work. Social media is not something that came naturally. Um, and you, she said, you don't have to believe me when I say that these videos are absolutely false. But the way that this has been spoken about, the way I've been spoken to, I will not accept. Shame on you. Fox News, Vought Incarnate, she calls them, but then she clarified that Megan is no longer with Fox News, implying that my photo is reflective of women being in a worse place is as false as my conviction in saying that if you resigned, you would be living leaving women in a better place. Wow. So, yeah, uh, very intense. And she also said, I also want to note, it's broken my heart. You've broken my heart. You've lost the privilege of this account. So you could believe yeah. whatever you want. So pretty intense. Um, you know, we, we've seen some celebrities speak up for themselves in, in the case of some sort of false claim against them. But, you know, there's just so much. Everyone has their own opinion on the Internet. Most people stay silent. But, you know, this is definitely creating ripple effects. Um, you know, so, again, I don't know if there will be any legal action taken. We're not opining on who has a winning case. One last thing to note before we move on. Uh, one defense to a defamation suit is the truth. If Aaron Moriarty, in fact, did get plastic surgery, then there is nothing that Megyn Kelly, although it might be egregious in some people's eyes, she technically could not be sued under defamation because what she said was the truth. So interesting to see. So uh, again, we don't know. I'm not going to opine on it. You're not going to opine on it. But that is kind of how this would go in, in, in the case. Exactly. Awesome. Let's move on to our fun topic and wrap this baby up. So we, in light of the Super Bowl happening February, I want to say the 12th, February 12th, uh, which is usually it comes around my birthday. My birthday is February 6th. However, actually no, actually, no, you're wrong. February 11th. And I only know one reason why. Have you seen this whole theory about the Taylor Swift 13 number and how it all connects to the Super Bowl. I'm I'm sure there is some theory. I'll give you the quick version of it. Every Swifty has created this theory. So essentially the Super yes, Bowl. Yes, it's February, February 11th. 11th. So February 11th, 2 plus 11 is 13, right? Yes. Um, the She's going to be um, play, in Tokyo. Be the 49er, they're they're going to be playing the 49ers. 4 plus 9 equals 13. Um, she's going to be playing in Tokyo the day before. The flight out from Tokyo to Vegas is roughly 13 hours. Oh, my um, God. Uh, then there, oh man, there was another one. And actually, Colbert did a really funny monologue about this. Um, there, there's another uh, 13 uh, play there, but 13 runs rampant. So 
it's unbelievable. It, it's crazy. It's it's it has gone mad at this point. Who who are you rooting for in the Super Bowl? <sighs> I mean, I, I want them both to lose. <laughs> I really, you know, it it just feels like deja vu because they played in twenty twenty. Yeah, and I, I, honestly, I'm, I'm with you. Like I was so rooting for the Lions because what a fantastic story yeah. that is. Just Dan Campbell and everybody joked about how they former were player. Be, former player and how on the press conference right uh, i don't know if you remember his press conference when he was we're gonna break coach. kneecaps right like everybody made fun of this guy but man he really has he's done a great job as a coach yep. it's really incredible um but i mean like if i had to choose i would rather choose the lesser evil here which probably would be the niners, niners. i agree um, <laughs> only because they haven't won a super bowl probably since the 90s so and i have nothing against pat or travis or any of them or taylor but i mean as a patriots fan you want their <laughs> unrivaled success to main to remain and the chiefs what they're building over there if they win i'd argue that they're they're a dynasty oh yeah very patriots-esque Yes. Which, so which, that I, I would just say share the wealth, you know? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to root for the Niners. So in the event, um, I'll go first. This one's a kind of one out of left field, but I really enjoyed the uh, the halftime performance with Coldplay, Beyonce, and Bruno Mars. Do you know, remember that one? I sure do. That was fantastic. And uh, Beyonce, I think, had just released Renaissance around that time. And that was... No, no, this like- was way... This was 2016. So but maybe lemonade. It, lemonade. That's what it was. Sorry, yeah, lemonade. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Um, but it, that was such a great show. That was fantastic. I'm looking right here. Beyonce had her own performance in 2013. Bruno Mars had one with Red Hot Chili Peppers in 2014. So it's kind of like recycled use. That said, I remember that Bruno Mars and Beyonce kind of had a like a like a, a face off with the two of two of each other, and it was a mix of like you know. Um, I'm forgetting the name of the song. Okay, ladies, let's get in formation as well as um, Uptown Funk. So it was really cool to see. And then Coldplay, Chris Martin and the Coldplay crew, incredible entertainers. They like make you feel so great. I always cry whenever I watch their concert videos. So that was really cool to see. That was my favorite one. Um, How about you, Tony? I'm going to let you say it because for the listeners (laughs) that did not, were not with us before we started recording, Evan which were, which were, are none of them. <laughs> <laughs> none of them. Um, Evan was like, okay, let's come up with, let's, let's, you know, figure it out. So I was doing research cause I didn't know what year it was, but I remember the Super Bowl. It was uh cold saints. And I was like, I really, I, I really, you know, was, I, I was like looking up. And as I was looking it up, Evan's like, I know exactly which one you're going to pick. And he <laughs> said it and he, this, it is scary. Why he, it's scary who he picked. And why why I picked it because it's on the tee. So you know what, Evan, I, I, you're gonna play me for a sec, and you're gonna tell the listeners what my my favorite halftime show is. So this is exactly what I pre- predicted Tony would say, and Tony would be something along the lines of, "So there were there were a lot of good ones in my time, but I would have to say my favorite one is Prince." And let me tell you, this iconic iconic performance of him performing "Purple Rain" in the rain. I'd be hard pressed to find anything different or anything better than this. No questions <laughs> asked. <laughs> so, so perfect. Am I right? That's I literally, fantastic. I literally, he said, he said, the wait, let, he said, wait, I'm going to look up what year it came out. And, and he said, okay, go. I said, you are going to choose Prince and you're going to say, because the rain was iconic during purple rain, all this stuff. 
<laughs> so it's it's I predicted that from a mile away. That was away. so good. That was so good. I will say this: that if if it's not that show, an honorable mention for me actually is the 2022 halftime show with uh, Dr. Dre, Snoop Dogg, Mary J. Blige, Kendrick. Uh, I think Eminem was in it, and um, yes, I think Fifty Cent made a cameo as well. Yes, he was hanging but upside down for the you know the uh, in the club uh, recreation that that halftime show was so good for a number of reasons also i mean aside from the fact that you got some of the best hip-hop legends on stage at the same time that took place in la too and that's exactly why i love it because you got la locals to be a part of it and i remember there were so many people frustrated even about the atlanta halftime show because you know atlanta boasts like incredible musicians in rap in r&b and whatnot and they picked maroon five and oh let's just throw in travis scott in the mix like no i'm sorry that 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 was like an injustice to all the uh the people of atlanta so you know i, I think they the nfl did themselves justice by it, it did themselves right they made themselves whole by having a la local artists in an la super bowl yeah and i'm excited to see usher i mean i usually don't like one person shows but usher is a an entertainer I have so many hits, so I saw a funny tweet where he's releasing a new uh, album soon, and then someone says, respectfully, don't play any of this SHIT at the Super Bowl. (laughs) People want to hear, yeah, people want to hear confessions, you name it, so very exciting. Okay, that brings us to the end of episode 38. Uh, Tony, I have done the takeaway all the last few episodes, so please take us home. Of course, um, we're not filming in studio. Uh, we're filming on Riverside, but we always want to give a shout out to PNT Network Podcast and Bookstore, located at 180 Orchard Street in the Lower East Side. We always want to give a shout out to Hunter Zarin for creating the theme song for End Scene. Also, you can follow End Scene on Shake S H A Y K. Use referral code End Scene to join the conversation on all things entertainment law. And most importantly, we want to thank all of you for listening to this week's episode of End Scene and Entertainment Law Podcast. If you have any questions or comments, feel free to reach out to us on all social media platforms at End Scene Pod. And until next time. End scene.